Some of you might remember the 1987 Academy Award winning film, The Last Emperor. Sumptuous yet tragic film that captures the social and political upheavals roiling China in the first half of the 20th century. In it, Peter O'Toole plays Reginald Fleming Johnston, a tutor sent to teach English to the teenage emperor of China. While he eagerly gets to know his new tutor, the emperor becomes puzzled when he learns that Mr. Johnston is Scottish. But then the aspiring student asks his new teacher, where's your skirt? In your country, men wear short skirts, do they not? No, your majesty, Mr. Johnston responds with that precise kind of indignation indicative of a thoroughly British education. Scotsmen do not wear skirts. They wear kilts. Kilts? Kilts. A matter of words, perhaps, but words are important. Why are words important, the emperor asks. If you cannot say what you mean, Your Majesty, you will never mean what you say, and a gentleman should always mean what he says. Saying what we mean, and meaning what we say, well, that was one of John Nicholson's great missions in life, wasn't it? So much so that generations of TAM students aspired to learn under his tutelage how to say and write what they meant and mean it. While John never taught an emperor how many of his students would become leaders of all kinds, engineers, civil servants, entrepreneurs, managers, fine artists, how much red ink, I wonder, that is the red ink that flows from the instructor's pen, saved us all from a sea of financial red ink later on even more so from those destructively careless words when, as professional adults with professional responsibilities, words really did come to matter a great deal in our daily life and work. In this era of text messaging, a lack of capitalization and dropped punctuation and the reduction of our expression to mere letters like LOL, ROTFL, I was always heartened to know that there was someone like Nick who genuinely cared where the punctuation felt, who reminded me of the importance of learning, to paraphrase the Dalai Lama, learning the rules well enough so that I might break them properly. There was someone in the room who still really cared about the beauty and power of language and its presentation. So that's a long way, a long-winded way of explaining why I'm reading my homily this day after carefully crafting it. Maggie's laughing. A bit of a departure from my usual pattern of the off-the-cuff preaching, to be sure. One that I think better honors a man of letters like John, all of you, his students, his friends, and his family. You who are learned from him to mind the details of what you wrote or said because words are important. We might all do well to remember that saying what we mean is critically important not only in our own lives, but in the lives of others. 
Beloved, let us love one another. The author of the first letter of John tells us today in a reading that Nick himself chose for this service. Love is the overwhelming theme of all three readings he selected. For that is the goal of carefully crafted speech in the end. Love is that overriding theme in so much of the literature that he taught and relished, whether it was Dickens or Twain or Homer, the stories he knew inside and out. And then there was his love for those living stories, the people who came into his life over the years. Love was the language without words, but at last speech failed him altogether. I will always remember vividly those visits to Nick at the Redwoods in these latter years where he would be sitting up in his bed, classical music playing in the background, the day's paper folded nearby, flowers growing outside on the patio. How he would take my hand. He would take my hand in a grip stronger than life itself. We would sit and we would pray together for several minutes in silence. Christian love that John Nicholson aspired to was not the sappy or shallow emotional kind that dominates so much of our popular media. That much more durable kind, kind of long-suffering, life-giving stuff that binds all the universe and each of us together in this undeserved gift of grace. It's that self-offering kind of love that labors in the kitchen over a hot meal for family and neighbor, over that sweet dessert for sweet tooth sons. Spending countless hours in the language and writing of eager students, mulling over the meaning of a verse of ancient texts for the thousandth time, rejoicing in a well-crafted musical phrase, and yes, in its spare time, chasing down a straight preposition or two. <laughs> It's also a love that prays earnestly for those who are in need of healing. A love that listens expectantly in quiet conversation. A love that stands in community when leadership is needed. Nick did all these things and more because he knew Jesus' mandate to his followers so well. In the words of a tradition he held most dear, he listened attentively and read, marked, and inwardly digested the voice of God found in the words, the writings, the music that filled his life, even in the painful days when his body was succumbing to the grinding decline of Parkinson's. A few years ago, when I joined the Brotherhood of St. Gregory, a religious community of the Episcopal Church, my wardrobe changed. One of the most striking new things I began to wear was, yes, this thing, the zucchetto. So garnered, as you might imagine, many questions from strangers and friends alike. So in my first visit to Nick, after I became a novice, showing up at the Redwoods with communion, I found his long, curious gaze centered on this strange new garment on my head. We have an informal saying in the Brotherhood that all who gather to pray with us become part of our community in that moment. But I didn't need to explain any of that to me. Because you see, suddenly he reached out and he grabbed the zucchetto off my head and plopped it down on his own. 
<laughs> it's one of those beautiful both-and moments of grace where he was being good-humored, curious, and insightfully thoughtful. Oops, spoke of Christ, too, and that's the three things I listed that they have to look for the Zucchetto for the rest of our visit, claiming his rightful place as part of the community in prayer, God's tribe, siblings in Christ, the continuation of that community founded by Jesus all those centuries ago, community, a new family of God's own, a new family worth living and dying for, a new family that is life itself, life and love that even conquers The love that it leaves with us is like that, isn't it? Solidarity over the years, even in that stubborn will to live when his body failed him so severely, stood on a foundation of love, God's solidarity with us. So this day, as we rejoice over his being saints in might, we are all a bit brighter because of him. We rejoice with tears to give thanks for his reminding us that words matter. To say what we mean. Above all else, even when words fail, to live out of love. That love laid down for us all. From before time itself. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.